Presentation SDA Church presents the Bible Lost. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7 30 for our weekly discussion from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Lost. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bible and Mast. I am Karina Edwards, and the Bible and Mast is basically a series where we try to go through the entire Bible in the whole entire year. Um, the Bible and Mast is aired um, every Sunday night at 7.30 on, on our YouTube channel or um, on plantationsda.tv. Um, the reading plan so every the week, every week the reading plan is shared so that you all are able to go ahead and read through each chapter and then come back, send us your questions, and we will tackle them every Sunday night on YouTube or on PlantationSDA.tv. Um, our I am your host tonight, but also we have here with us today um, Pastor Kevin McCoy, who will be answering our questions for us tonight. Pastor McCoy, can you introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Karina. And it's a wonderful pleasure to um, be with you again in another series episode of the Bible on Mask. Looking forward to the experience. So before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer. So wherever you are, bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to come together, even though it's virtual, um, to talk about your word and everything you have to say to us through your word. I ask that you continue to bless us and give us an open mind and help us to learn more and to grow more spiritually um, from this from this meeting tonight and the meetings to come every Sunday night. This is my prayer and just say my prayer. Amen. 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 So last week's reading we tackled Psalms 81 to 119. So Pastor McCoy, can you briefly give us an overview of what um, that specific section of the Bible had to say to us? Well, as with, as with the Psalms, as we have seen so far in the study of the Psalms, we are looking at um, collections of Psalms that uh, are coming from people's experience um, that reflect on how they, God has worked in a human experience. Um, and look at how God, you know, is singing God praises, you know, through prayer, um, through music. And these were compiled to, to give us, you know, the, the collection of Psalms that we have. And so last week, as, we, as with this week, is a reflection as onto the Psalms as to, you know, they're different with the different authors, um, how they reflect the author's experience, some by David, some by others, by musicians. Um, yeah, so the, the Psalms as a collection, we looked at as, um, you know, source of inspiration in terms of prayer and in terms of worship um, and how God is present to us in in and through these psalms. And this week's reading was Psalms 120 to Proverbs 14. So we segue into another book. Um, Pastor McCoy, can you go ahead and give us another overview of what those chapters have to offer? Right. So we are closing out the book of Psalms, as I mentioned, uh, as a collection 
and we're going to find that um, the book of Proverbs itself is a is a is a collection of collections, right? Um, and we are going to be um, focusing on a portion of those. So the you know Psalm and the Psalms and the Proverbs um, uh, share this similarity in terms of its its content, in that these are collections. Um, these are collections of different genre of material that were written based on experience. And we're gonna find also in the Proverbs also an observation. Um, so that's what we're looking at this, this week. Thank you, Pastor McCoy. So without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the first question. Um, Psalm 82 and 83 are described as Psalms of Asaph. Who was Asaph? What role did he or she play in the Bible? Asaph, when you when we read in the book of Chronicles, um, and particularly in First Chronicles, we find that Asaph was a prominent Levite singer and also a seer or a prophet in the courts of David. Um, and he's from the tribe of Levi. And he played a very important role, um, as I mentioned in the book of Chronicles, and um, he and his brothers were appointed to, 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 to minister, to be ministers, you know, to sing songs of thanksgiving to the Lord in the courts. Now, as far as it concerns his authorship of these Psalms, you know, there's a section of Psalm attributed to, to, to Asaph. Um, I think there's Psalm 50 is a part of it. And there's um, from Psalm 73 to Psalm 83. Um, is attributed to, to this person. Now, when we think of authorship in terms of, and, and in general, biblical authorship, um, we have to, you know, take a second look as to what that means. Because for the most part, authorship in, in, in terms of biblical authorship is not about, is not how we think of authorship, to, authorship today to say that I wrote a book and on the book is, my name and it means that I literally sat down and put those thoughts together whether or not with an editor or a company but I'm the primary source of that information in 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 biblical times and in particular with this with Asaph um, it can indicate that what what all she can indicate is that he himself or his or, or his descendants um, wrote these psalms but it can also it can also indicate that there is a group associated with him or his family, and these are the ones who, in recollection of his life and his work and ministry as a musician in the temple, brought these together um, to in honor of him, right? Brought these 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 some these these psalms together in honor of his work in the temple, and also of his experience. And what he did did there. So, yes, he might have written some, but it, it can also be that the school of Asaph, those who are associated with him or his tradition of singing in the temple, Levites after his, you know, out of his family or tribe, these are the ones who came together and um, put these together. So, you know, it's it, there's a nuance with it um, where 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 authorship is concerned in terms of the psalm and also generally in terms of biblical authorship. The second question is some psalms are described as prayers while others are described 
described as songs. How are the two related? Can we substitute music for prayer in our worship services and Christian lives? As you mentioned, some Psalms are described as prayers, others as songs. And they are related in the sense that when you look at the Psalms, they are, some of the Psalms of David, they are written based on his own experience. And these come forth as an, as an artistic expression in terms of um, poetry, um, which comes out as prayers and also in songs, right? So the, the Psalms as a genre, the Psalm, Psalms as a genre, has, having different genres in terms of prayer and, and songs, they come, they come from a recollection of God's working in the life of the kings and, and Israel, and also on the personal experience of, of the kings and Israel and, and God's people. Um, so that is a sense in which Psalms as, as prayer and songs are related. Now, um, in terms of, can we substitute music for prayer in worship services? Here's what I would say about that. I think both are essential features of any liturgical experience, any worship experience. Um, these are diverse elements that brings different modes and focus in worship, right? When you think about um, prayer, prayer is more centered on, um, to say, petition or praise or, well, while music has that feature to it too, prayer has the, a main focus of petition, um, honoring, glorifying name, and music too has that sense where we are celebrating right, celebrating God's name. So while they have dif different, they also have similar functions in worship. And for that reason, I would say that both are significant and that none need to be substituted for the other, right? Both are essential parts, um, um, features of any worship experience. And so in our, in our Christian lives, and for instance, in, um, in uh, daily devotion or you know, corporate worship, Prayer is a means of inviting, but also acknowledging the presence of God in our midst, right? And then music now is, a is, is one means of celebrating the presence of God in our midst, right? So prayer, we, when we pray, we say, God, we thank you for being among us and with us or come among us. And then now in worship with, through music, we celebrate that God is among us. Um, we are united in Jesus Christ. Um, a mighty fortress is our God. We celebrate God's attributes and God's activities among us. So both, both are essential for the worship experience because while they have similar functions, they also have different functions. So they are, they are both essential and I believe none need to be substituted for the other. So essentially both have their role to play in worship, right. basically. Right. Both do can do different things. Gotcha. Right. Hey, the third question, can you please provide the historical context in which the book of Proverbs was written? Who wrote it? Does it only have one author? Based on the contents of, of the book of Proverbs itself, and, and in particular, the first nine chapters, um, many believe that it was written um, just after Israel came out of Babylonian exile around about 538 BC, right? They are, they are coming out of, 
out of exile. And uh, these proverbs are reflecting um, personal experience, observation, but also um, wisdom in itself, right? And we're gonna talk more about, about what wisdom is in this, in this book, right? Um, but these are collection of collections, right? These are not, this is not a narrative as Genesis is or numbers or even the, 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 the prophets, right? Um, these are as the short sayings, right? These are, these are sayings which are not attributed to one author while some may be attributed to Solomon and to others, and we're going to find to, to King Lemuel and some others. Um, these were gathered over, these collections were gathered over a number of centuries and brought together in, in, a, in a collection, which we have now as a book of Proverbs. But it, it, it is suggested that this collection began after Israel was, um, after Israel returned from Babylonian captivity. And so on the point of who wrote it, um, we can we can see evidence in the book itself that there are there are multiple authors um contributors and that's why i said earlier that you know when we talk about authorship in the in the biblical tradition you know what do we mean by that because here we find that um in proverbs sections are introduced by the so-called author or the contributor you have um words from the wise who is that person we're not sure but in chapters 22 through 23 we find the words of the wise and we find words of agor in chapter 30 and also words of king lemuel in chapter 31 and in other places we find different units we find different um portions are attributed to different people so in the sense that the psalms was um attributed you know traditionally to to, to david it is the same sense in which um, the, the proverbs um, are attributed to Solomon as the as the patron, or the one who was was responsible for initiating or beginning this kind of this kind of um, genre and bringing together in a collection, right? So there's not a single author to the book of of proverbs. There are many um, which were brought together as a collection over a period of time. Um, and uh, brought together together brought together for the purpose of which we'll talk about is to give direction and wisdom as to how to live life. Makes sense. I like that response a lot. <laughs> yeah, say more. Yes, I do. <laughs> say more about it. What what about it that um, that really enlight was an enlightening or or was instructive or revealing or. Well, I know for me personally, I've like always growing up, like Psalms and Proverbs were like a really huge, like a big deal for me growing up. So like Psalms and Proverbs, they were always very like mystical in my head because mm. they were like these two books in the Bible that were so like bougie by themselves. And I was just like, what, like, what really is the like purpose of it? So like when I heard this question, I was like, okay, like we get to learn, like maybe like Pastor McCoy knows like the historical, like what's really behind, like what really inspired the writing of those books. That's why I really like that response. Cause <laughs> right, right, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, the next question is the book of Proverbs covers a wide range of subjects. 
Does it have a common theme? So as I mentioned earlier, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs as, um, as a book is a collection of collections of sayings, right? Brought together, um, brought together to give guidance. And so for that reason, it is difficult to say the book has a singular theme or a set of themes, but we can find major themes that, that go throughout the book. Right, we can look at the role of female figures are very prominent in the book, right? And we're gonna see how female figures function in terms of the strange woman and the woman of wisdom. That's a major feature in the book of, 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 um, of Proverbs. Also, you have these, um, this emphasis on wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, right? There's this emphasis on that. But there's also another emphasis on the importance of fearing Yahweh, right? Throughout the entire, throughout this entire book, there is an emphasis on, on fearing Yahweh. And that becomes one of the central theme, right? Throughout this book of, of Proverbs, um, you know, given instructions about how to succeed in life. So, right. So, um, the fear of God we're going to see is important um, for successful living in relation to God and also to human beings, right? So even though it is not a narrative with a you know major characters or anything, the fear of God becomes a, a, a focal a focal point or theme in it um, that is emphasized, right? And um, there is one thing that. Um, they try to bring this a concept that, that they try to bring it under, which is called the the moral act consequence, right? This this kind of idea, our concept that the the idea that the fear of God, right, and that good acts produce good results and um, bad behaviors lead to to disaster, right? And that it is the responsibility of the student or the son, you know, the character in the, in the text was the son. Um, is it's 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 is supposed to walk the path that the the you know this this moral act consequence outlines so that they can either have success and avoid death right so fear of god and good actions you know produce as i said good results bad actions lead to disaster so we now me and you you know come in the role as a son to whom the parent is speaking or to who wisdom is speaking, we are the ones now, the responsibility is upon us to learn, to follow these instructions so that we, you know, walk in the fear of the Lord, we can find success and we can prosper, which is another theme in the book, right? Um, prosper by fearing the Lord um, through knowledge and wisdom and understanding um, of, based on the observed world and experience. Okay, moving on to more specific questions. This question is taken from Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 5, and I'll go ahead and read it. Right. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge, and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. So the question is, the book of Proverbs seems to provide advice. 
how should we interpret these biblical proverbs? Are they, are they mere, is there mere advice that we may choose to follow or follow or commands that are tied to our salvation? So this is a, this is a, a very important and a, and a very good question, right? So definitely book of Proverbs is giving instructions, you know, a very stronger word than advice, right? It's not just advice, it's giving instructions because these instructions have been based on observation in the natural world. We're going to see about the ants and animals and, and, and just how life is and also human experience, but also the wisdom, right? The wisdom which in the book of, of, of Proverbs is, is personified as a woman or portrayed as this being our power, our entity that was even with God in the beginning in the creation of the world, which is in Proverbs chapter 8, right? So very important. It's not just advice. This is instruction. Very, very important instructions, right? Um, and so how do we interpret them? Um, these are interpreted um, contextually. As I said, these are not narratives or stuff. These are based on the context and, and they are issue specific, right? So they tell you how to deal with money. They tell you how to watch your words. They tell you how to deal with, uh, with, with seduction. They tell you how to deal with justice. They tell you how to deal with so many. So they are context specific and issue specific. That's how we have to, have to interpret them, right? We have to interpret them based on the experience and um, or the context that we are experiencing at the time. Now, are they advice or for us to follow? Or, you know, because the person is asking, are these options? Should I just take them as something I can choose or are they commands for salvation? Now, here's how I would respond to this. Given the fact, as I mentioned before, the fear of the Lord is kind of a central theme, right? And the um, the the um, moral act, the moral act consequence idea, right? The moral act consequent consequence concept that I mentioned before says that the fear of the Lord leads to prosperity, right? And following the way of the evil or, or wicked leads to destruction. Do good and good comes. Do evil you know, destruction comes. Based on that fact, right, um, these instructions would be wise. And that's the word of the Proverbs, right? Of all the Proverbs uh, um, contributors. It is wise to follow them because when you follow them, you will see that they are based in reality. They are, if you follow them, then you, then they, they there's a natural consequence, right? When you follow them, there's a natural consequence. So it is wise to follow them. Now, if I ignore them, does it mean that I will lose my salvation or are they so important that they are tied to my salvation? Again, these are context specific. There are some that are based, are um, connected to salvation, right? Um, because they are leading away, they are telling us how to avoid sin. They are teaching us about the traps of sin. We're going to see an example of that coming up um, um, soon, right? So, in one sense, it is wise to follow them because indeed there are some that are connected to salvation, 
tied to salvation, but in one sense, they are not necessarily commandments that are tied to salvation. Here's why, because there's one commandment uh, um, related to salvation. One, and this is my commandment, based on the Apostle Paul, one commandment, thou must have faith in Jesus. That's the only commandment we need to follow to be saved. Thou must have faith in Jesus. We're not saved by commandments. We are saved by faith, right? So the only commandment I would say there is, is thou must have faith in Jesus. That said, these proverbs are not necessarily connected to our salvation, that we have to follow them, but it is wise to follow them, but because they help us to walk in the way of salvation. They guide us towards salvation or keep us in the path of salvation. That's how I would respond to, to this question. Yeah, I get that response because like even sometimes growing up as a Christian, like you think the commandments are it. Like I know a lot of people, I'm not sure the specifics, but I know there are other denominations of Christianity or even other religions that just see the Ten Commandments and that's it. And then the rest of the Bible is just, you know, a nice, beautiful story and it's more cultural. And don't get me wrong, I do think that some things in the Bible are cultural. Um, but I think it's it's very interesting to have to discern like what's just what's cultural and what's spiritual, you know. So that's really right. Cool. So the, the per I think the person is trying to sense the weight or the insignificance of following these right. proverbs. Um, so is it does it have to be because the two words that are important for me in this question are advice and commands. You know, advice means that, you know, I can decide if I want to and commands mean like, yes, I can decide if I want to, but these are what needs to be done, right? Um, so they are significant. They, they are very significant because as I said, they guide us in the path of salvation or they keep us in the path of salvation, but they are not necessarily tied to our salvation because they are context specific. For instance, um, you know, the, 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 the proverb, the, the, there's one talking about ants and how they, they, they are proactive and how they work. Working is not necessarily tied to your salvation to say that get up every day and do a job and whatever. It's not necessarily tied to your salvation, right? But it is important because, um, you know, idle hands, you know, there's a saying that the devil find work for idle hands, right? So you can make some connection between them, but it's not specifically saying that if it don't work, you won't be saved, right? Um, but working keeps you focused. There's a dignity in working, right? It, it helps you provide for yourself, provides for your family. Also help, provide, help allows you to, to be charitable towards and, and kind and um, good to others. But it's not necessarily tied to say that if I don't work, I won't be saved or I'm gonna lose my salvation. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, next question is taken from Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So the question is asking, Solomon seems to be addressing his son specifically in this passage and others. 
is he really addressing his son or is it just a writing style? If he's only addressing his son, does the passage apply to all of us? Taking, taking Solomon as the author of you know, this section of the Proverbs, we can take it that he's speaking to his sons, um, which would be wise of a father to give instruction for a son to um, avoid certain, avoid destruction and walk in the path of prosperity. Um, but there's also the sense in which Solomon is taking on the role of this parent, um, of, uh, um, this character as a parent in the text, speaking to us, the audience, you know, who read the book, who read his writings as a child who needs instructions. So there can be a dual role in which, yes, it is, he's speaking to his son. Um, and yes, it can be a, a point of a, as a literary, a literary feature, right? A, a literary feature where he's using it, um, taking on a parental role or from the perspective of as a parent giving instruction to a child. Now, in I think, I think, you know, even if he's writing to his son, we can still learn something from his, from what he's saying to his son, and it can still apply to us. Um, and that said. The book of Proverbs is still applicable to all of us today, right? And um, you will find that, and I, I don't remember where I read this or I listened to a podcast where people have written books and the principles on which their books are written or exposes, you'll find similar concepts or ideas embedded or written in the book of Proverbs. What does that say, say? What is that saying? The proverbs are timeless instructions, right? Um, we're going to look at an example coming up. They, they are timeless instructions um, as to how to walk in the way of God, to fear God, which is always, always significant, whether then or now. It is always to have this reverence towards God, a living a life that honors the God, the God of this universe, right? Um, so yes, they are applicable to us, even if he was writing to a literal son, and it's not a literal feature that he's using in the in, in the book. The proverbs are timeless, timeless principles and instructions um, for us to walk in prosperity and to avoid destruction. I definitely agree with you, because growing up, I know like the rest of the Bible sometimes like. For me, I use specifically Psalms and Proverbs as a moral compass. Like my parents always taught me, like, if you're ever confused, <laughs> like nine times out of ten, you're gonna be able to find something about morals and ethics in those books. So I know for me personally, like, if there's anything I know, like, there are tons of debates about what's applicable in the Bible from two thousand years ago to now. But I do firmly believe that if not all um, of the principles like shared in Psalms and Proverbs are definitely applicable today because goodness is goodness, morals is morals. Those usually don't change. So, and a lot of, you'll see a lot of like similarity in moral philosophy and even what the Bible has to say about, you know, how to be a good person or 
what to think that a lot of like our situations now in this world, some of them you may not be able to find, but I do think that, I think that there's a lot to gain, like you were saying, there's a lot to gain, even if the person or the situation that we're reading about, they're not directly speaking to us, but I do think that there's always something to glean from those type of situations, you know? Right, rightly said, rightly said. Um, yes. Next question is taken from Proverbs 7, 19 and 21 to 23. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping onto a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it, was, it will cost him his life. So the question is, chapter seven speaks against adultery, but puts the blame on women only. Why aren't both the man and the woman sinners and equally responsible for an adulterous relationship? So let me, so if you look in this passage, um, in the one sense, the woman is portrayed as somehow as a hunter <laughs> and the male is portrayed as prey, right? So is this kind of seduction taking place? So while there is, there seems to be a sense where the, the woman is being, being blamed for her words or um, you know, because she's she uses persuasive words, right? She seduces him with smooth talk, and but notice what happened. He then follows like an ox, right? So he also had a choice, and that's that's the that's the the, the thing about uh, proverbs. It's showing that both of them are are at fault. I would read it right because while she is somehow portrayed in the sense of a hunter, right, or a seducer. The, the, the young man in this story is portrayed as, a, an, as an animal, you know, like a prey or, or, an, or, or, or an animal who has no wisdom or has no sense, right? Because like an ox to slaughter, like a stepping into a noose, like an arrow pierced the liver, like a bird dating into a, darting into a snare. This animal is functioning as if the animal has no awareness, no wisdom, right? No understanding, no knowledge. So I think responsibility how I would read it is that responsibility is being placed on both of them, right? The woman is using her knowledge, right? Remember the, 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 the it's slipping right now, but the, the, con, the, the, the concept I spoke about earlier, right? The concept I spoke about earlier, the, the moral act consequence, right? The moral act consequence. What we are seeing here is that um, while she is using her knowledge, her wisdom, you know, her persuasive words, her um, smooth talk, she is using it for a wrong reason. But also this young man lacks the wisdom that would get him out of this situation. And so the emphasis here is on wisdom for her to use wisdom wisely and also for the young man to gain wisdom to get out of traps and, this, and, and, and um, out of sin. So how I would read this is that both of them are truly lacking wisdom, right? They are both lacking wisdom and are both equally responsible for the adulterous act, right? So what we see here is that both of them are thinking that they can uh, get away without, you know, sin without getting caught. But 
the fact that the Bible says right here that in the last part it says, little knowing it will cost him his life, right? He, he lacks the knowledge. He didn't know that what he's what she's doing and him following after her will cost him his life. And neither did she know it because she thinks her husband's not coming back home. But the suggestion is here that both of them get caught for what they have done. So the idea is lacking wisdom and, and thinking you have wisdom and following the path of sin, think you can escape it. There's a there, knowledge and wisdom suggests that you will get caught because, you know, that's that's just how life functions that the you cannot hide in the dark you know and that's you're gonna find that kind of concept comes up into the proverbs now while here the woman is portrayed you know in this strange because in the book of proverbs as i mentioned women the image of women feature heavily right you have a strange woman and you also have lady wisdom right if you follow the strange woman the moral act consequence if you follow the strange woman you go into destruction if you follow Lady Wisdom, you, you prosper. So it's not just blaming women in one instance, but also elevating women as wisdom. Women wisdom takes on the, 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 the major image, the dominant image for wisdom in the Proverbs is as a woman, while also the lack of wisdom, right, is portrayed as a strange woman. Right. So those are that's important for us to to observe and to notice there. Right. And we look in, in, in at the end of, of the book of Proverbs. We see how a woman of wisdom functions. Proverbs 31. We talk about the woman of, uh, of Proverbs 31. Right. This woman who goes at her gate. She's honored. She she's not like this woman who is who is using persuasive words, who is using smooth talk to lead um, a young ministry. So. While there seems to be some blaming of women there's also an elevation of women um through the image of lady wisdom who is the stature or the reference um of everyone who has wisdom right so we need to mark that balance there we need to mark that balance there yeah I def but i definitely understand like because during the during every time we do the bible and mass like there are always those questions that have to do with gender equality. Which and are, I know because, yeah, it, it, it rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> which are necessary, which are necessary because, um, and I've said it many times on, on, on Bible and Mass before, and I'll say it again, that both male and female were made in the image of God. And while we, while, you know, there are dominant masculine and feminine features to us, and how those are those are portrayed and used in literature, um, because you'll you'll find that you know the woman is portrayed one way and men are portrayed other way another way in literature. We are still equal um, in God's sight. Nothing reduces us. Nothing reduces that, and um, nothing can improve on on that. We are all equal in God's sight. I agree because I know like when. I know with, in terms of gender equality, like sometimes it'll rub me the wrong way, but I think I learned to like, not take it too personally. Cause like I mentioned before, um, I think a couple questions earlier, you know, certain things are culture. Like I believe there was this passage one time I read, like this passage about dealing with slavery mm. and with women 
and women were treated significantly worse mm -hmm. than uh, men. And I was like, okay. And then even with the story with the woman caught in adultery, like, where was the man? <laughs> like, where was he? Like, they both participated in the act, but she was the only one that was going to die. And, right. like, a lot of those things, like, used to get me upset growing up. Because I was just like, because I'm a devout feminist. But I just learned to, like, understand that this is an account of the things that occurred. It's not necessarily what God believes, you know, in his heart. Because, like you were saying, God believes that all of us, male or female, are equal. So, yeah, I definitely think um, I agree with what you said about both of them. I see it as both of them were responsible in that situation. Um, Proverbs 10 to 15 is the next question. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Can you please explain this verse? <laughs> right. Right. So it's, it's based on observation, right? It's like saying, well, in this context, there are some people who don't work, but they are rich because, uh, you know, they do investment, they do it. But it's, it's, it's based on observation to say that, well, you know, if you jump, um, you won't stay in the sky. Gravity will bring you back to earth. It's, it's kind of like based on, on, on reality, right? But notice the images that they use here that um, the wealth of the rich is a fortified city and poverty is the ruin of the poor, right? Now, this is kind of a pulling on the imagery of protection and uh, because fortified cities were important to protect, to keep out enemies and to protect the, the citizens, right, in times of war. Now, for the wealthy, they are like a fortified city because they are protected, right? They are protected. They, they can get what they want when they need it. Um, so, and, and they, so they are portrayed as, which is portrayed as having strength, right, and power. But look at the poor. You know, poverty is a ruining of the poor, of the, is a ruin of the poor, right? So while riches is like a fortified city, you know, poverty for the poor is like being out in the cold, right? There is no protection. If your enemy comes to attack, you have no barrier, you have no fence, you have no... So it's based on an observation that, you know, um, and, it's, and, it, and that's how it is in life today. If you, if you look on the streets of America, you don't see rich people sleeping on, on, on cardboard. You see, you, you probably see them in a five-story five, five mansion or something, or, you know, they have, you know, their own islands or stuff. They are, they are fortified, they are secure, they, they have roof over their head, they have food, they have clothing. But the poor who are ruined, you look on the streets, they, they are hungry, they are sleeping on cardboards, they are eating out of trash bins, they, they have no health insurance, they are, they are, they are sick without, without, any, without any hope of recovery. Um, so it's, it's based on a fact of life. And this is what I mean, that these proverbs are timeless. As much as this was true for true in in you know in 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 fifth century sixth century BC, um, it is a fact as it is today, right? The rich people they are secure, they are protected, they are comfortable. The poor, they are out in in the cold. They are, they are they are left for ruin. They are left for dead, and and that's that's how significant the, the proverbs are. Relevant then, relevant today. Um, the last question. And actually, <laughs> it's taken from Proverbs 11, verse 10. 
When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Can you please explain this verse? How does it apply to our lives? All right, so that when the, when the righteous prosper, and notice prosperity is connected with righteousness, right? Um, and, and punishment, the perishing is connected with wickedness. But notice that both of these bring joy. Why is it that, that the prosperity of the righteous, you know, brings rejoicing to a city and the wicked perishing also brings joy? Well, probably the righteous, you know, because the righteous is in the city and when you live righteous, you prosper and the blessings of God are on you, whether it increases your wealth, um, whatever it does for you and you in, you know, the righteous in some way, contributes to the well-being of the city right because if you're righteous and you prosper somehow you are contributing to the prosperity of the city right um and so the city rejoices because you're prospering and the city rejoices that speaks and i'm going to come to the application soon but notice also that there is joy shouts of joy when the wicked perish why is there joy when the wicked perish as there is joy when the righteous prosper probably because when the wicked perishes their destructive and wicked powers and influence, which would normally bring down a city, is also absent and, and, and taken away with them. If there's no wicked person, um, then there's no evil among us. That's kind of the sense. So we can rejoice. Right? Um, and and you, you, we have seen that... Um, in terms of, and I don't want to go into geopolitics now, but when you look at how some countries of Afghanistan, when you look at the news now, America is pulling out of Afghanistan, um, and the people are the people are not rejoicing, right? Because what um, the Taliban and, and all of these, you know, extremist groups are gonna take control again, and so what that means is trouble for the people there, right? And so when 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 when, a, when there is prosperity for, for people, people rejoice. But they also find that when the evil is removed from among them, there's opportunity for better, for good. And so they also find reason to rejoice. Now, in our time, um, as, you know, standing in the image of the righteous, when we find that as God's people, we are prospering, we have a moral responsibility to contribute to, to be good citizens, Right? Um, to give back to our communities in, in service and um, in many ways serving, you know, our communities in different ways, whether it's volunteering, um, doing public service, and, and, and different, many different ways. Um, we have a responsibility as the, the, the standing in the image of the righteous, that when we prosper, the city where we live as God's people should prosper. There should be blessings wherever God's people go and leading to eventual rejoicing as you wish, right? So that's how it applies to us and how we live today. Wherever we go, we're supposed to bring the, breast, the blessings and the prosperity of God so people can rejoice and indeed give praise to God. And this is another example of the moral act consequence, right? Um, prosperity brings rejoicing, um, but also the absence of, of wickedness also brings rejoicing too. Um, so that concept will be constantly coming up throughout the texts and the Proverbs, 
um, as we go along this this more consequences you fear God you prosper you do good you prosper you do wicked you perish and this is a heartening back to the book of um, Deuteronomy where we, we spoke about you know the covenant the covenant relationship it goes back to that where you you do good you are blessed um, you do evil you are cursed so there is a there's an there's a beckoning back to the book of, of, of Deuteronomy um, in, in the Proverbs and the, and the ideas and the principles and instructions that we find um, in the book of Proverbs. Thank you for that response, Pastor McCoy. And ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our episode of the Bible and Math, episode 27. Um, I invite you all as the viewers to read Proverbs 15 to Ecclesiastes 4. That is our next reading. And I encourage you all to read daily, not all at once. Because if you read all at once, you're probably not going to digest everything you should. So you can send us your questions. Um, next week's presenters and hosts will be Pastor Javon Marsh and LaVon Brown. And Pastor McCoy, lastly, what should us as the viewers, what should we expect from these chapters? More words from the wise, <laughs> more words of wisdom, more, more instructions. Um, it's, it's, it's the same dose that we're going to get going through um, throughout the book of Proverbs. Focus on the fear of God, focus on living by wisdom, um, practical um, principles to follow based on observations from life. Um, from the natural world and also based on experience. Um, a second dose, but a good one too. <laughs> um, viewers, please invite your family, your friends, your coworkers, anybody you that you know to um, continue or start to tune into the Bible and mask. Um, any questions that you have from um, the readings in the next week and the week after that, you can text them to 954-388-8780. Um, and please um, subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you continue, can continue to be updated on any live streams and future episodes of the Bible and Mask. So again, thank you, Pastor McCoy, and thank you to those of you who are watching. And last but not least, um, I'm going to ask Pastor McCoy again to close us out in a word of prayer. Okay, let us pray. God of wisdom, we pray that we will learn to fear you so that we can be righteous and prosper. We pray that we will learn to do good and to bring good into this world that your people everywhere can prosper. Help us to be like Lady Wisdom who is honored by all at the gates, who works diligently to provide for her family, who is a blessing to humanity. Help us God to be an example of one who walks in wisdom and follow your instructions. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Temptation SDA Church presents The Bible and Lost. We 
Read Your Bible Daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible and